The Gospel lesson this morning comes from the book of John, the first chapter, verses 29 through 42. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him. They said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day again John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He, found, he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John? You shall now be called Cephas, which means Peter. This is the word of the Lord. In the passage just before this, the Pharisees have been trying to figure out who this John guy is. They've heard that he's calling people to repent and baptizing them. And people from all over Judea are coming out to meet him. He had great power among the people. He had influence. He had authority. But who is this guy? He seemingly just came out of nowhere. Nobody knew much about him. So the Pharisees decided to send some leaders who were beneath them to go to John and ask him who he is. They asked him if he's Elijah. And they asked him if he was the prophet, and on both accounts he said, no, I'm not either one of those. Then the leaders asked him again because they really, really needed an answer to give to the Pharisees when they got back. But instead of answering the question with an identity, with a name, the way we would answer that question, John answers their question by giving them his call story. He tells them who he is by telling them what God has called him to do. The beginning of the passage for today picks up just after this encounter with the leaders and tells the reader about Jesus' baptism, at least the way John saw it. See, John's Gospel presents the story differently than the other Gospels in the other Gospels, we actually have the story told to us in narrative form as if we were there. But in John's Gospel, we hear John the baptizer telling others of what he saw at Jesus' baptism. This is important especially for those of us who are charged with the task of telling others of the encounters that we have had with God. It gives us an example to follow. It gives us a model of what evangelism should look like and could look like, we find out that what John has seen at this baptism has completely changed him. It has confirmed his calling. It has excited him. It has excited him so that it has 
it's difficult to really understand what he's saying. The words seem out of order. They seem jumbled. This is something that we all can relate to. There are times that we get so excited about an encounter that we've had that when we go to tell people about it, it just seems like our words are jumbled up and we keep repeating ourselves and it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But what happens to those people to whom we give our accounts? As we give those stories to them, they start getting more excited. And then they get even more excited. And then they start to feed off of your excitement and they start to smile and then they get invested in what you have seen. And then they start to begin to want that same encounter that you have had. That's exactly what happened to these two disciples who were with John that day when Jesus comes walking by. See, these two disciples had been listening to John go on and on and on about what he had seen at Jesus' baptism. Let's be honest, this is probably the most exciting and important thing that's happened in John the Baptist's life up to this point. He was going to spend some time talking about it. These disciples threw out all the seemingly jumbled, excited utterances of John about this baptism, had begun to put the bits and the pieces of the story together in the right order. They started to make some sense of it. They had some idea of who Jesus was and they started to get excited. They were looking forward to seeing Him. Even though they were not there at the baptism, by this point, they were just as excited about seeing this Jesus, the Son of God, as John was. See, that's the exciting part of the good news. It's contagious. Once it starts, once you get excited about it and start telling others about it, it starts to spread from person to person to person. And people want to know more. So when Jesus comes walking by, John, without even thinking, exclaims, Behold, the Lamb of God! And the two faithful disciples of John become the two faithful disciples of Jesus at that very moment. They start walking. They start following the Lord. They want to know more about Him. They want to live like Jesus lives. After they had walked a little ways, Jesus knew they were behind Him. He could hear them. He could feel their presence. He turns around and he says, what are you looking for? They look at one another, maybe a little embarrassed that they had been called out by Jesus, but definitely excited. And then they look at Jesus and they say, Rabbi, teach us. We want to learn. Where are you staying that we might go and learn how to be like you? Jesus' response, come and see. So they walked and they talked and Eventually, they came to the place where Jesus was staying. And they sat down and they stayed a while and they talked. They listened. They learned. See, these two disciples went to spend some quality time with God. They laughed with their Lord. We don't know for sure exactly what was said that afternoon. and We really don't need to. We do know that whatever it is that they talked about stirred something deep within inside of Andrew's soul. The first thing that he did was to go find his brother Simon. And then Andrew led him back to Jesus. And the moment that Simon met God, he got a new identity. He got a new name. Jesus said, you're going to be called Peter from now on. He was changed forever. I've preached this passage a lot in the past. 
It seems that at each of my field education assignments, I was assigned that particular Sunday in the lectionary. And so this seems to be a passage that keeps coming up in my ministry. It's a tough passage for me to preach more than once. and Four, five, six times gets even tougher because it's a fairly straightforward story. As a preacher, you tend to get two basic options. You preach about John's account at Jesus' baptism, what he had seen. Or you preach about the faith of the disciples to go and follow Jesus and what happened there. But one of the most important things that I learned when I was in preaching class in seminary was that when you preached a passage from every conceivable angle that you can think of, and you don't know where to go next, flip it upside down. See what comes out. And so that's what I did. And I got to thinking about how this passage can apply to us on a basic daily level. What does it mean for the way that we follow Christ? And then I turned that question upside down too and started to look at that from a new perspective. What does it mean for others to follow us in hopes of us leading them to Christ? Then I realized that this is the question that unlocks all the treasures of this passage. I get the pleasure of sitting up front during children's time most Sundays. I consider it a place of honor because I get to see something that most of y'all don't. I get to see the terrified look on the parents' faces as their children come forward, hoping and praying that their kids in those six or seven minutes that they're up here aren't going to say something that's going to devastatingly embarrass them and their family. It's amusing to watch, especially since I don't have one coming forward yet. And then a child will do something that's just absolutely precious, and that parent will turn red and want to crawl underneath the pew and never come back out. I've also heard some new parents of toddlers say that they have to be careful now of what they say since their children have started repeating what their parents say and what their parents do. See, they're worried about what their kids might learn from them. They're worried about what their kids might say that would reveal something about themselves in front of others. While this may be true of parents of toddlers and young children, This is true of all of us. This is especially true of Christians. What if we all felt the same sense of responsibility to those people who watch us as Christians as parents do for their kids when they're in front of other people? Those people have heard us hopefully get excited about the gospel. They've heard us get excited about our encounters with God. They want to know more. Sometimes... They just don't know how to ask. Sometimes they don't know what questions to ask. And so they, like little children, do what they know how to do. They follow. They find someone that they think knows what they're doing. And then they start imitating that behavior. They start imitating the way those people live. They watch us. They do as we do. I heard the question that the disciples asked in this passage of Jesus in a new way this time. He said, Rabbi, teacher, we want you to teach us. We want to learn. We want to be just like you. Where are you staying? That's a question that needs to be asked of all of us. Where are you staying? Where are you staying? Where are we all staying? What's in our heart? What's in our homes? 
What is it in our lives that gathers all of our attention? How do we speak to others? How do we live when we get home and no one else is looking? Better yet, how do we live when we're out in public and people are looking? And remember, people can see inside of your car when you make those faces and gestures at them. Think about people in your life that may be watching you. People in your life that are trying to become better Christians, trying to know what it even means to be a Christian. They're watching you. They're imitating you. They may not always do what you want them to do. But maybe they're just looking to you for an example. Where are we leading them? Are we walking with them and engaging in conversations with them like Jesus did on this road that day with those two disciples? Are we inviting them to sit and stay a while with us? Are we sharing food with them? Are we providing them with the warmth and the hospitality that God commands of us? When I first started seminary, I was trying to figure out how to follow God again. I had taken a four-year hiatus from being a good God-following Christian. I wasn't quite sure how to get my spiritual life back on track. So God put some second-year divinity students in front of me. I was in a bad housing situation at the time. I had never signed a lease anywhere, having been on a college campus. And so I got on Craigslist from South Carolina and signed a lease via email for an apartment that I hadn't seen in Durham. And uh, when I got there, my parents dropped me off. I was in a house that was sometimes inhabited by 12, 15 people. They torn the kitchen out for remodeling. It was a bad situation. My mom got back in the car later on, I found out, and just cried all the way back home for having to leave me in such a situation. That's another story. Needless to say, I started spending a lot of time at school. I started spending so much time at school that I was only coming home to put new clothes on and sleep. I was even showering at the gym on campus. One day I met up with some guys from the Divinity School and I started playing softball. I was sitting in the dugout with this guy, Nathan, and we got to talking about his call and what brought him to Durham. See, Nathan was a youth minister at a church in northern Durham and he was going to seminary full time. In the midst of our conversation, he found out about my interesting and somewhat scary housing situation. And so he gave me a key to his apartment. And he invited me to come and hang out whenever I wanted. I could come, I could go. It's the first time I'd met him. Who does that? I asked him, Nathan, where are you staying? I needed a new place to be, a new place to study, a new place just to get away. But I also saw something in Nathan that afternoon that I wanted. I saw something, I saw someone who was confident in his faith and wanted to live it out the best he could. I saw someone that if I could spend some time with him, if I watched how he lived, I could learn how to be a Christian again. Over the next month or so, I spent a lot of time at Nathan's apartment. I think he enjoyed the company. But I also think he knew that I needed something. I needed more than just a house. He knew that I wanted to know how to better live into my call. And he could see me start imitating the way that he lived. He kind of acted as the older brother that I never had. He didn't have a roommate at the time, and I think he kind of felt sorry for me having to fill my gas tank up all the time going from my apartment back to his. And so he told me one afternoon just to move my stuff into the back bedroom that he was living by himself and it was empty and he didn't need that room anyway. 
And so I did that. But it wasn't just my life that began changing as I spent time over there. See, his life started changing too. We would push one another to get better, to become more available to God when He would speak to us, to grow in our faith so that when we would be appointed to the churches that we would be appointed to, we could lead those people better. That's what God's calling each of us to do. We're to realize that people are watching us all the time. They want to be in a relationship with God. But unless we show them what that means and how they can do that better, their road's going to be a lot more difficult than it really needs to be. We have to open our eyes to those who are following us. We have to open our hearts to those that are walking behind us. We have to take them under our wings and lead them to the God that's changed our lives. We've got to walk with these people just as Jesus walked with those first disciples. They didn't know what they were doing when they started. But they wanted to learn, and He knew that. See, that's all these people want. They want some direction. They want a friend. They want to be loved. And in the midst of taking them under our wings, may we become better Christians for it. May we become better Christians who are more deeply devoted to prayer and to Scripture and to devotion. When we become mentors to others on the road to Christ, we push one another to love better and to live more faithfully. And in the midst of that, may we become more confident in our faith and stronger in our relationship with the God who made us. So that whenever the next person who comes along behind you and starts imitating the way that you're living asks you where are you staying, may we be able to respond with boldness. Come and see. Come and see. Amen.